Morning, church family. All right. Woo. You know that God's grace is not just pardon. It is pardon. It is forgiveness, and it is mercy, and we are in need of that, right? And we're recipients of that grace, and we should be filled with gratitude that there is pardon, but there's also power. God's grace isn't just pardon, there's power, right? There's power to live a victorious life, to live an abundant life in him, filled by his spirit, led by his spirit. And so the title of the message this morning is Leading Means Feeding. It's part two. We're going to conclude with what we began, not just last week, but really the theme of these past few weeks. When we looked at David, when we look at Peter, and it's not about our mistakes. It's not about our past. It's about the way we respond to our mistakes. It's about the way we receive or reject the correction that comes from God. And so I pray this morning, Lord, even now, would you just do what only you can do, God? Would you speak to us, your people, God, with the power of your word, of your spirit? Have your way in this place. Have your way in me and through me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we said last week that what motivated Jesus' ministry, we read in Matthew 9.36, it says, when he, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were agitated. They were, they were helpless. They were hopeless. And so oftentimes, church, whether it's within the church or whether we look at the world, we see people who are agitated, who are hopeless, who are helpless. And rather than be moved by compassion, we criticize. We look at how people sin maybe differently than we do, or we marvel at how the world behaves like the world would behave apart from Christ. And so Jesus instead, when he looked out, he was motivated by compassion. He saw the sheep without a shepherd. They don't know any better. There's nobody to nourish them and guide them and protect them and lead them. And so that's what motivated his ministry. And we said last week, that's what should motivate each of ours. So we're still in the 21st chapter of John's gospel. And I really love how John closed the previous chapter, the closing of John chapter 20. He said this. He said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And then I love this verse. John chapter 20, verse 31. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture. It says, but these are written. This testimony is given that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. That it's not just, uh, you know, uh, it's not just an intellectual conclusion. That it's not just fact. That you don't just, you change everything. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. That's why I preach that the purpose of John's gospel, that's why the church exists, that people would believe in Jesus and that they would have life for the first time, life in his name. You know, there's nothing better, there's nothing in life to me better than seeing that light come on in someone's eyes, 
especially when they've been in the darkness for a long, long of God. This, is just for, this isn't just for pastors. This is for ministers. And guess what? We're all ministers. We're all ambassadors for Jesus. Right? We've been trusted. Paul says with the, we've, we've been recipients of the ministry of reconciliation, and now we're entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation to let a world know that there's a God who loves you and you've been reconciled back to him. He closes his gospel. John closes his gospel by saying this. Not even the, that we're looking at a scripture that addresses not only the restoration, not only the repairing of something broken, but the preparation for mission. You know, you can look at David's life. You can look at Peter's life. You can look at Joseph's life. And if you, if you take a snapshot at the worst, that these people could have thought that their circumstances were insurmountable, that their mistakes were insurmountable. But God, but God. I think of David, right? And, and, you know, I don't know if they still do this. It's probably not politically correct. But when I was a little kid, they would line you up and then pick you for sports. You know what I'm saying? I know it's hard by looking at me. It's hard to tell. I'm not very athletic. And I, I would get picked last every time, and I'd be like, when are they going to end this humiliating ritual? So I got to the point I would just, like, play jump rope with the girls. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even get in line. I wouldn't even get in line for kickball. They'd be like, okay, everybody line up. You're going to get picked. I'd be like, no one's going to pick me. This is horrible. You'd think even the teachers would have been like, hey, pick, pick that kid. Just, you know. Nope. David, in David's life, not only did David not get picked, David wasn't even against the wall. David wasn't even in the lineup. The prophet came, bring your sons, and, you know, here's this one, here's this one. David's just in the back. But how many people know God sees the heart, right? And don't despise humble beginnings because at any point in your life, in my life, in David's life, throughout the Bible, these are people that God used, not because they were remarkable, but because he is, Amen. And so the only difference between, again, like we said, a David and Saul or a Peter and Judas isn't the mistakes they made. It's how they responded to God's correction. And so it doesn't matter what happened yesterday. It doesn't even matter what happened this morning. What matters is what we allow God to do in our hearts right now or not to do in our hearts right now. Because you're here not because somebody invited you, not because you come to church every Sunday at this time. You're here because you have an appointment with the Lord. You're here because he wants you to go deeper. See, as Christians, what we do is we look at the places that we've had some victory, where maybe the Lord's, and we sort of rest on that. And, and, the, and, and you know, maybe we've been walking with the Lord for a little while, and he's done some things, and we sort of go, well, you know, you know I mean, I'm not as bad as that guy, or I'm not as bad as how I used to be. And so, you know, the Lord's done this, and he's done that, and and that's good. I'm done now. I don't want him to do any more work. I'll let him know. You know what? Those areas, that's idolatry. See, that's the area where we're saying, I don't trust you fully, God. It's It's not what it is. It's not just the particular sin. It's what it represents. It represents going, I don't really trust you, Lord. And here's the thing. I say that because it's important that as we see and as we read last week, that the first step in Peter's restoration is an acknowledgement of his spiritual condition. It was an acknowledgement of where he was with Jesus. And so if I ask you the question, like Jesus posed to Peter, do you love Jesus? We're quick to go, yes, of course I love Jesus. Do we really? 
Do we really? Are we honest about where we are with the Lord? Not that we can't always go deeper, not that we get perfection this side of eternity, but can we be honest and say, you know, those, there's some areas in my life that I'm still holding on to. There's some places I don't trust them. Because what gets in your way, and I said this in the first service, and this is the Holy Spirit, because I'm not really that bright. I said what gets in our way isn't our past, it's our pride. Come on, right? That's Holy Spirit stuff right there. What gets in our way, what's getting in your way, if you walk out that door the same way you came in, it's not your past, it's your pride. Judas' problem was his pride. Peter, Peter in humility, was honest with Jesus. He could have wandered off a failure, but he received correction and restoration that led to mission. Jesus said, I'm going to have him lead the Jerusalem church. Because when God restores you, he doesn't just restore you and go, all right, you know what? You're restored, and now you take a back seat. He goes, you're restored, and I'm going to do amazing things in your life. Amen. Amen. Wherever you are with the Lord today, he's ready to restore you. He stands on that shore with open arms, and he has a dialogue with us, and he wants honesty. And I believe, you know, one of the most beautiful, honest prayers in the Bible is, I believe, help my unbelief. I have faith, but help my faith be stronger. I love you, Lord, but I don't love you like I should. So I pray that the, we give the Lord full access, that like, like David, we say, search me, Lord. Search my heart. Even that place, even that area. You know, I used to use this example with the guys at Teen Challenge. I used to say, you know, we, we come to a program, or we come to church, or we come to Jesus, and we're sort of proud that finally, it's like, you know, your wife says, you, you got to go to the doctor. you got this thing on your arm. It's been bothering you. you got to go get that checked out. And then finally, you know, she keeps saying it. I'm like, all right, you know, I'll go. And you go, and you sit in the doctor, and you're like, you know, i got this arm thing. And, you know, you're like, I think I know it all, Doc. I went on YouTube. I, I read about it. But go ahead, Doc. You give me your expert opinion. And the doctor looks at your arm, and you're proud because you went to the hospital, and you're proud because, you, you know, you showed up. And then the doctor's like, all right, you know, I'm looking at your arm, but there's a bigger problem. You've got cancer everywhere. And you're like, well, Doc, look, I don't want to deal with the cancer right now. This is my arm. I only came to show you my arm. He's like, well, I know, but the arm, that's, that's, that's a small thing compared to the bigger problem. And, we'll, and you're like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to leave now. I don't, I, don't need, I don't need your opinion. And we'd say, well, that, that's insane. But we do the same thing with Jesus, don't we? We come to church and like, Lord, I'm going to give you my addiction. And he's like, okay, I'm going to take that. But you know what? Your condition is the problem. Your heart is the problem. Your sin is the problem. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, I just came here because, you know, my PO said I had to come here, or my wife said, or my husband, or my, Lord, I'm only willing to give you this. And he's like, okay, well, thanks, except we got to work on the whole thing. And here's the thing, right? Here's, here's the truth, as sure as I'm standing here. When you say to him, Lord, take it, I give up. There is no part of me that's off limits to you. It is amazing what he does, church. Not because of us, but despite us. All because of him. So I beg you, be honest. Don't let your pride get in the way of the, what the Lord wants to do in your life. And so to sort of recap some of this last week, John 21 one starts off. 
And what happens, we see the disciples in the Sea of Tiberias, we see they, they go back to doing what they always did. They go back to fishing because things with Jesus didn't turn out the way they thought. They were expecting a kingdom on earth. They were expecting position, and now he gets arrested and crucified. And so they're like, all right, well, I guess we'll go back to fishing. I guess we'll go back to doing what we do. Because sometimes when, when we know who God is and we trust him and we believe in him, but he doesn't show up, things don't look the way we think they should look. What happens? We go, well, I mean, that was, I guess that was good, but I had a friend, close friend of mine, he said to me once, he goes, you know, I tried the Jesus, the church thing, it just didn't work for me. I'm like, well, what's working for you now? And he's like, yeah, nothing. I'm like, all right, well, hey, not for nothing, but maybe you got that wrong. It's like that old saying, if you're not as close to God as you once were, who moved? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So Peter and company went back to doing what they do best. And it says, Jesus called out to them, verse 5, haven't you any fish? And we said last week that sometimes when we know, when we're experts in a particular field, we don't take advice. We don't take, you know, input because it's like, hey, I do what I do. But if we're not teachable, if we're not teachable, sometimes we miss the blessing, right? See, if we think we know it all, we miss the blessing. You can't teach if you're not teachable. You can't lead if you don't know how to be led. That's why King David, he 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 was a shepherd and he talked about the Lord is his shepherd. That's why Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. If I'm not, if Jesus isn't the head of this church and he's not our over shepherd and he's not leading and he's not shepherding me, I'm just a guy. Don't follow me. But if I'm following Jesus, if I'm being shepherded by him, then allow me the privilege to shepherd you. But we got to receive church. It says, and the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord, in verse 7. And we said last week, and Peter, despite his, you know, it doesn't matter his past, Peter knew it was going to be a difficult conversation. And some of us, when we, you know, we know maybe we got that friend, we know, you know, somebody, we're going to get that correction or whatever. Sometimes we want to avoid it. But Peter knew that maybe the correction was going to come. Maybe the, the conversation was going to be difficult. He just denied his best friend. But Peter loved Jesus. He loved Jesus so much that he wanted to be in his presence. And he knew that no matter what Jesus said to him, that it would be, that it would be reasonable because he knew how Jesus was. And so it says the other disciples followed in the boat. And we noted here last week the similarities between Peter's first calling in this scenario. We said both occurred in the Sea of Galilee. Both times Peter tried to catch fish and he couldn't. Both times Jesus gave him instructions and he followed. And we said last week that not only does Jesus bring us to the same scenario oftentimes, but sometimes the very same place. And says, okay, we get to do this again. And see, that's the key. We get to do this again. My father used to say mistakes that we learn from aren't just mistakes, they're lessons, and that's true. But the Christian life isn't just a better you. The Christian life isn't just your wisdom from your past. You don't just learn from your mistake and then you get another chance to do it in the flesh. Now you get to do it with Jesus. He walks with us. He empowers us. He guides us. 
And so they sit by the fire and Jesus starts this conversation and Jesus reinstates Peter. And we went last week and we, we looked at the initial conversation when, when Jesus said, Peter, are you still going to make that same claim? Is your love, are you still going to claim that your love is superlative than everybody else's love? Do you love me, Peter? And we said last week what's missing in the English is what's taking place in the Greek, which is Jesus saying, Peter, do you agape me? means, Peter, do you love me above everything else? Am I the most important thing in your life? And we said that Peter's answer, we could look at it and think it's not the right answer because Peter kind of responds like, I like you a real lot. And we could say like, Peter, that's not the right answer. But the true answer, the honest answer is always the right answer. And see, Peter's restoration couldn't have taken place if Peter was still delusional about his spiritual condition. And so if we're here and week after week we say, everything's fine, everything's fine, I'm better than this guy, I'm better than I used to be, and the Lord's going, do you love me? And we're going, of course I love you. And I'm not saying we have a perfect, you know, perfect love this side of eternity. I'm not saying we get it all right. But I'm saying sometimes we don't even try. And so Peter was honest. And then Jesus does something. Jesus says, okay, if you do love me, then the, the outflow of that love, the application of that love is his work for you to do. Because you can't just say, I love Jesus and I don't like people. Right? I've heard people say before, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. Or, you know, you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Pastor Jamie the other day said this. I thought this was great. He said, no, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, and you don't have to ever go home to be married either. But it helps. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm married. I haven't been home in 20 years, and I'm married. How's that relationship? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I mean, the church is the bride of Christ. Try telling your friend you like him, you just don't like his wife, and see how that turns out. <laughs> Jesus died for the church. It's the bride of Christ. So Jesus says this, if you love me, here's the way to prove it. Because, right, when the, when the, when the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus, when the lawyers of the day are, are trying, to, trying to trick him up, what do they say? Lord, of all the rules, what's the, what's the most important rule? That's what they're saying. Lord, of, of all the rules, what's the, what's the number one and two rule? You know what Jesus says? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's talking about Deuteronomy 6.5. They knew the Old Testament. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus, I think, 19.18. And it's really one thought. It's not two separate things. It's one flows out the other. In other words, love God and love God in such a way that it, you prove it by loving others. So we all say we love God, we just don't like people. Right? Being a Christian would be so easy if it wasn't for people, wouldn't it? So Jesus is going, okay, Peter. You say you love me? Well, here's the thing. You gotta give up your life. I know we hear like sort of this, this you know, American dream Christianity that won't cost you anything and Jesus paid it all and he did. And you know what he asked us to do in return? Pay it all back in the sense of he gave his life for us and he asked us to give his life. And we realize that in that, we win. We don't lose in that exchange. You never lose by giving everything to Jesus. You only win 
And so we're not most of us going to be asked to physically give our life for our faith. A lot of places in the world, they, they do, and they have still today. But every day, we have an opportunity. We're asked to die to self multiple times a day to consider others more highly than we ought. To look at opportunities to love and to serve and to give. Even when it costs us, not just financially, but I mean when it costs us emotionally. When we have conversations that may be a little difficult, but they're conversations we ought to have if we love. See, Jesus is going, all right, if you do love me, Peter, then I'm going to ask you to die to self. And we've said before that the invitation to pick up our cross and follow him, that's an invitation to death. And, and I've heard people a lot of times and they stop there. You're going through something, they go, well, pick up your cross. Okay, yeah, pick up your cross is an invitation to death. But that's not the end. It's an invitation to death that leads to life because we partake not only in the death of Christ, but in his resurrection, amen? That's what baptism's all about. If you haven't been baptized, we're doing one next week. And it's a sign of obedience to Jesus because he tells us to, and it's symbolic of that old life. We die to our past. We identify with Jesus' death on the cross, and then we get out of the water, and we, 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 that symbolizes new life in Christ. And so Jesus is saying, okay, Peter, you're gonna give up your life from me. That, that pro- proclamation you made, Jesus, if everyone abandons you, I'm, I would die for you. And Jesus goes, Peter, you're, you're right. And he goes, and then there's a few things I want you to do. And it seems like the same thing in the English, but really it's three different things. It's feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and then feed my sheep. We said last week that the name change, that Jesus, instead of calling him Peter, says Simon, son of John. And then they start that exchange. And, Peter sa- and Jesus says, okay, Peter, feed my lambs. In order for us to serve Jesus, in order for us to express that love for him, lambs are infant sheep. So he's saying, provide nourishment for the infants. Now, if you've been coming here for three weeks and somebody's here for the first time, guess what? You can minister to them. Now, we can point people to the pastors. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know what? We're all called to minister. And we have opportunities. We're called to feed people until they learn to feed themselves. And so this reference is really the the spiritual milk, right? Recognizing, we said last week that as evangelicals, we focus on getting people to say the sinner's prayer and putting their trust and faith in Jesus and amen. But we act like that's the end. And that's the beginning. And now we get to walk with them. We get to nourish them. We get to care for them. We get, what do you do with, with, with infants, with lambs? They're dependent. You've got to help them. You've got to provide. So Jesus is going, Peter, for the, for the new believers, for the infants, love on them. Be sort of a spiritual dad. Feed my lambs. The Greek word we said last week for feed is bosco. means nourish, keep them protected. Infant sheep. And then he says in verse 16, tend his sheep. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. 
In order for you to serve me effectively, you must tend my sheep. And the Greek word here, it means to feed or to shepherd, to supervise. In other words, to pastor those older sheep, to shepherd, to to guide, to lead in the best sense of the word. To To lead in the best sense means to be responsible for, to care for, to protect. And this is where we left off last week. We read through some of the principles of being a good shepherd, and I want to recap just a few of them. And the first was know the condition of the flock. Know people. We can't all get to know everyone here. I mean, it's great that the church is growing and parking's a problem, and that's awesome. But you know what? My, whenever people ask about how the church is going, whether it's ministry leaders or other pastors, you know what I'm the most proud of? I mean, there's a lot of healthy metrics. There's a lot of things I can look at. But you know what I'm the most proud of? Two things really, really stick out to me. One is every single week I get somebody who says, this is my first time. Or I've been coming for a couple weeks. And the other thing I'm so proud of is that we have about 160, 170 adults in community groups right now. And that's awesome. You know why? Because that's where life change takes place. Because we, we come here, and I've said before, this shouldn't be called church. This should be called preparation for church right here. We come together, we worship the Lord, we fellowship. We're to be equipped for ministry, and then we go out and do it. But the intimacy that happens in a community group where we can do life together, where we can pray, where we can walk with each other, where we can rejoice and we can grieve and we can meet needs and we can go deeper in the Bible, we can ask questions, that's where life change takes place. And there's nothing more exciting to me. Of all the, I mean, I hear every week people come up and I hear testimonies and I'm always excited to hear what the Lord's doing. But I love when people say, I've never been in a community like this. This is so awesome that I'm with this group of people, and that's obviously a big plug for community groups. And so if you're not in one, try it out. The New Testament was written to small communities of believers. It's important to plug into that community. So know the condition of the flock. Have relationships. Great leadership is personal. Rotate the sheep to uh, to fresh pastures. Remind your people that failure isn't fatal. That's what this whole sermon's about. Failure's not fatal. His blood is more powerful than our sin. Amen? Protect, correct, and inspect. Great leadership is a lifestyle and have a heart for sheep. See, Peter was responsible for helping mature believers in their spiritual growth by feeding them the word of God. Nobody ever comes to the point where we know it all. In fact, I used to think I knew more than I did, and then you go to school and study and actually know more, and you realize how little you know. Like, man, because there's such depth and richness to the Bible. In every way, it speaks to our, our, our spirit. It speaks to our heart. It's historically accurate. There's everything there is you can go deeper and deeper and deeper. It's amazing. And again, the more we study, the more we can study. The more we love Jesus, the more we can love Jesus. The deeper he'll take us. At no point does he go, okay, you're good. And then in verse 17, it says, feed his sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? 
And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, Peter was grieved when Jesus said it for the third time because what it brought to Peter's mind was that he had denied Jesus three times. See, sometimes in order to move forward, we have to recognize. We have to come to terms with the mistakes we've made. They have to be right in front of us, and we have to admit them and move on. We don't minimize, but we also don't, you know, the enemy wants to keep that right in front of you. And Jesus goes, no, look at it. It's real, and now we're going to put it behind us, right? Peter was grieved, but he was caused to reflect on his denial of Christ. And he was reminded once again, I have another opportunity. I know what I did, but now in Jesus, imagine what I can do. And that's the invitation. Because I've said before a whole bunch of times, our testimonies are never for us. Your gifts, and we all have gifts. Every single person here has got a gift. And every single person here has got a testimony. And you know what? Neither one of those things are for you. Your gift isn't for you, and your testimony isn't for you. It can encourage you. It can, it can be an act of worship for you, but it's to point people to him. It's to serve the body of Christ. It's to build up. When Paul rebukes, he rebukes because he's like, you guys have this, all these gifts things, but you've missed it. You don't even know what it's about. We do the same thing. See, the Greek word here, this feed my sheep, it's still the word bosco. But when it's in reference to lambs, it means to fodder or to keep. But when it's applied to adult sheeps, adult sheep, Right, yeah, sheeps. It means to graze. And to graze means to rest, to be nourished, and to move out to a different place. We're called to gather together as a church and to rest and to be nourished, but to leave the pen, to leave the barn, to leave the field where we're most comfortable, and to go out. What Jesus is saying to Peter and to all of us is at some point, it's got to be about them. Rest, yet renewed and refreshed. But what was the mission he had to Peter? Take care of people. What's the mission he has to us? Take care of people. It's going to be, we're going to see in a minute, it's going it's to be out of an overflow. Because if we don't have an overflow, then we're just doing what we can do. And God doesn't want to do what just you can do. He wants to do what only he can do. Amen? And so Peter was supposed to help the sheep in their spiritual growth, but he's responsible for seeing that they found rest and that they left the barn once in a while. David was a shepherd. And David wrote Psalm 23, and it's familiar. And sometimes it's, you know, when scriptures are more familiar to us, sometimes we sort of dismiss it, or it becomes so common, the words, that they lose their meaning. Like we hear this a lot of times at funerals. But I want to read it. I want to point some things out. Because David was a shepherd. And I've said before, and Darren loved this, and I must have read it somewhere. But I said before, David was a mighty man of God. He was a stinky boy of sheep, right? He was a mighty man of God eventually. And he got there overnight. And so David was a shepherd, and David had the heart of a shepherd. 
And David recognized that in order to lead, in order to shepherd well, we must first ourselves be led and shepherded. That if you're an unteachable teacher, you're just telling people what to do. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I want to point some things out. It'd be one thing if he just said, the Lord is my shepherd, wouldn't it? You understand that. The Lord guides and, and protects and directs and all those things. But he adds that, that second part of the thought. The Lord is my shepherd. And he's my shepherd in such a way that I am wholly satisfied. That's, I mean, that's depth. It's one thing to have a shepherd. It's another thing to know this shepherd's going to protect me. He's going to nourish me. He's going to care for me. He's going to guide me. He's going to love me. I don't have a need for anything else. As a profound statement by David for this trust in God. And he, and he begins with this. He begins and it's going to, each thought is going to sort of, it's going to build into a culmination of a statement. But he begins by saying, the Lord is my source. He's my guide and he's my protector and he's, he's my source. Everything I have, everything I desire is in him. And then I love this part. And my mother-in-law reminded me of the way that this is worded a few days ago. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. It's not just advice. It's not just a suggestion. Sometimes we've got to be forced to rest, right? Sometimes we're running around doing so much stuff, choosing not the better thing, right? And we've got to be told, no, no, no. You get a rest. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Some translations, cease striving. Seems counterproductive. Cease striving, don't try. No. The full thought is, cease striving and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Do what you can do and recognize what you can't do. Sometimes that's harder than be still, than, than don't sin rather. Be still is to just sit and wait and trust in him. And I don't know about you, but sitting and waiting, uh, I gotta do something. I gotta be productive. Sometimes you know what the most productive you can, thing you and I can do is? Lie down in green pastures. I was thinking about this the other day. When's the last time, you know when you're a little kid and you lay in the grass and you look up at the sky? When's the last time you laid down in the grass and looked up at the sky? We're just too busy. To, we miss the beauty and the majesty. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Well, in order to be led, we got to follow, right? Is he trying to lead us and we're just kind of doing our own thing? I've said before, and you, you know, I've preached it before, there's a lot of people do ministry for God without God. Jesus like, took a turn way back there and we were so busy doing what we were doing that we didn't recognize he wasn't with us anymore. So we can stop and we can make sure that he's leading. And we can make sure that we're following. You know, you never get to a place where you're, where you get it all figured out. And so when correction comes, you can receive that correction. Even if it hurts, it hurts. 
correction, it hurts. But you can receive it. You can be honest with God. Peter can be, was honest when he said, you know what, Lord, I love you, but help me love you more because I, I really I could do better. I mean, we love Jesus, but we could do better, right? We could love him more. So we got to be honest. And then verse 3. Remember I told you it was going to build? See, if, I, if we were to start with verse 3, he restores my soul. Everybody wants their soul restored. Everybody wants that soul restoration. Come on, Jesus, restore my soul. He goes, okay, the path to that is recognize me as your shepherd, as your all-sufficient shepherd. Let me lead you. Find your rest in me. And then I'm going to restore your soul. That's the way to restoration. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because a shepherd comforts the sheep. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come up. We're going to play some background music. Pastor Jamie's going to come up. And as I, as I make my final comments, I want you even now to examine yourself. Like Paul says. To consider honestly where you are with the Lord. And maybe you're going through something. And the, the valley of the shadow of death, that was a real place. And it was so dark that there was no life there. And so the scripture is saying, even when I'm in that place where there's no life, where, where it looks like there's no hope, where the circumstances are impossible, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they come from me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my cup with oil. And then I made reference to this. It says my cup overflows. Because when we allow God to do that, when we allow him to restore our soul, we just don't have a cup that has enough for us, but it overflows. The ministry is the overflow of my cup affects you. That's what ministry is. And sometimes we hinder the overflow. Or, or no matter how big, no matter how much he gives us, we just get a bigger cup. I want more of this for me. Like, no, this is an overflow. This is an acknowledgement of God's grace and mercy, of his extravagant and abundant love for us. And it's an overflow of that love. It's a result of our compassion. It's an obedience to Jesus saying, if you really love me, then live it out by taking care of the people that I've placed in your life. My cup overflows, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we look forward to that, don't we? That eternal rest in him, and I've said before, everybody's looking forward to spending eternity with Jesus, but we can't find 10 minutes a day to spend with him now sometimes. So you've got to find our rest in him. And we're called as Christians to bring the kingdom of heaven. We know that someday it's going to come in fullness, but we're called to begin to bring that down now, to live out that kingdom of heaven, to make our lives in the light of Christ so attractive to the world that they want what we have. That like in 1 Peter, be prepared to give a defense, to give a reason for the hope that's in you. Peter is just assuming people are going to ask you about the hope that's in you. 
That's just a given. Peter's going, when people ask you, because they will, be prepared to tell them about Jesus. See, our goal as Christians is spiritual reproduction. To multiply the number of people in the kingdom, that means we need to graze, we need to feed, we need to be nourished and protected. We need to nourish and protect others, and then we need to leave the fields that we're familiar with and consider others. Jesus was telling us right here that the most important thing is that people at CFCNB reach out to the lost. And so as we transition to communion, Jesus asked that question, do you agape me? Do you love me above all else? And if we don't, then our response can be like, you know, Lord, I want to, but I got these things that keep getting in the way. Would you take them? Would you take that place on the throne of my heart that's rightfully yours? Three times Peter had failed and three times Peter was restored. And he received that restoration out of his love for Jesus. And in response to that, he lived the rest of his life in service to Christ as King. So as we transition to communion now, make your peace with the Lord.